You're listening to The Dugout, a college baseball match podcast. Today we had a conversation with Adam Farb, founder and CEO of NCTB. We speak with Adam about what the current state of youth baseball is today, as well as his feelings on exposure. All that and more on today's episode. Adam, so we've known each other for about 10 years, mostly in the baseball context. Give me a little bit of background on your your baseball experience and how you got to where you're at. Well, I've had a little bit of an uncommon journey, I guess, compared to others in the industry. I, I, you know, I played in high school, but I didn't play beyond that. wasn't uh, wasn't recruited and kind of got mad at the game, got out of it. Uh, went to college at uh, Brown University in in Rhode Island and got into music and some other things. And yeah, I was working. I had a concert business uh, right after I'd gotten out of college and wanted to get out of the house. So, you know, I set my mind to being a Sunday League superstar. Um, and uh, somewhere along that road. Uh, I tore my rotator cuff and uh, wasn't really able to play for a little while. Uh, I was a pitcher. Um, so I, I, uh, I got into coaching. Uh, I won't waste your time with the long story of that, but uh, got into coaching and uh, went and volunteered at our local Little League. Uh, from there, you know, a couple years later, kind of in random ways, ended up with, uh, with a travel team and one of the first travel clubs out, out here. Uh, I ended up starting. Uh, not really knowing what the heck I was doing or or why I was doing it, other than we had a bunch of kids that wanted to play some good baseball. Um, and uh, so that was back in 2000. I founded a club called the North Bay Extreme, which was uh, the first travel club, I guess, in in the North Bay. Uh, really, the you know to give a sense of how different travel baseball was back then, we were the only team from San Francisco all the way north through all of Sonoma County. So we were anybody that could make it to practice you know, was kind of who we were drawing from. And there were only, you know, five, six, seven teams in an age group in all of Northern California. So it's, it's quite a bit different than it is today. Um, tournaments would happen maybe once a month. Um, you know, a, a lot of all those kids obviously were still playing in whatever local leagues they were playing, and this was a supplement. Um, so, you know, you'd have to kind of find the one tournament a month. There was, you know, some places up in Vacaville. There was, um, you know, down in the South Bay every now and again, and a random here and there. Um, and, and we'd all obviously end up all playing in the same tournaments because they were the only ones to play in. <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was a very different landscape. And obviously, it, it kind of blew up rather quickly, um, as you might expect. But, uh, yeah, we were playing at City Parks in Vacaville and, uh, you know, the Mather Park up near you uh, before it was redone when it was just part of the, the military, uh, old military base. and. Um, you know, fields were pretty run down, and that was that was pretty stock standard. So at the time, the kids that were playing travel baseball were some of the better kids in Northern California. You know, these were just good kids that wanted to play more. And, you know, once they get in an environment where they're really gen- genuinely challenged competitively, it's pretty addictive. Um, you know, that's that's what they're looking for. It's the It's the same benefit that, you know, the... The, the average baseball player, let's say, gets out of playing on a Little League team. Um, they're challenged, they're pushed, their skills are developed, um, you know, and, and uh, they get a taste of playing against the best and playing with the best, and, and they want more of that. Of course, like everything in America, you know, we sometimes tend to love it to death. But, <laughs> um, but you know, there was, there was, a, there was a clear and, and identifiable need um, for doing something more for highly skilled players. 
that wanted to play a higher, a higher level of ball. So at the time you were running your team, what other teams were playing? Well, let's see. Uh, the, the head first program started about a year after us. Um, EJ Sports, who's around, Eric Johnson, who played with the Giants, started, I want to say, two or three years after us. Um, most of the programs that existed then don't exist anymore, uh, either because they were dads or they were, you know, a little baseball training academy that um, I, I know you have a coach that, that works for you that, that coached in one of those programs down in the South Bay, uh, Star, Maker, Star Maker Baseball, yeah. Uh, Bay Area Select was uh, the first, my first exposure to it, guy named Joe Conley. Uh, parent, uh, his kid had played in a little league sectional all-star tournament, and he basically took the best players from all of those teams and formed them onto one team, and they kicked the holy hell out of everybody for for a few years. <laughs> and uh, a guy named Chuck Evans ran a team called Arsenal uh, out of the South Bay, out of San Jose area. A phenomenal team, a lot of great kids. Um, but obviously, that was you know one team. It went all the way through and uh, and was done. Um, so. There wasn't, there wasn't a model, right, like there is now for, for an academy. There, was, you know, there wasn't a way to make money off of it, right? Number one, there wasn't, there wasn't enough play. It was just a, you know, a way to supplement for these kids. And um, I would say it even took two or three years before you could see that maybe there's something else. How many travel programs were doing something similar? Yeah, I mean, I, so 2000, we're talking about, you know, 100, 200 teams realistically total playing high-end travel ball in Northern California. And by, I can tell you by 2005, when, when I started my business, uh, there were, you know, just under a thousand total and we're at about 2000 now, um, in Northern California alone. So I, I would say from 2005 to 2010 was the explosion where just e everybody was getting in and you went from having, you know, one level, to two levels, to three levels, and there really probably ought to be four levels now. Um, we just don't have the fourth level yet, but um, in terms of dividing up competition and making sure that everyone is, is playing at the appropriate level that's slightly challenging for them, but not overwhelming. So Adam, you mentioned to me in 2005, you started NCTB. What was the perceived need you saw in the market? Well, I mean, I think like, like most people that go to tournaments, you know, as I said, I had a concert business, so I have a little bit of an event background. And um, I'd go to these tournaments and I'd go, man, as baseball, this is great. As events, these are horrible. And, you know, I, I think everybody has this, well, you know, I can do better. And, and I certainly thought that. And, and so, um, you know, I had... Uh, knocked around. I had sold my concert business years before. I had worked in the corporate world for a little bit. I gave that up in 2001 and started a little baseball camp business because that was, you know, it became clear this is kind of my passion. This is what I like to do. Um, obviously, I wasn't making any money. I was as broke as you can be at times in there. Um, and, uh, you know, I started looking at ways to supplement that. And, you know, running a tournament or two seemed like one of them. And as I started to study it, and, and look at the possibilities and go, man, I, I really think there's a business here. Um, and I think we can, we can do some good. Like some of it is just, you know, putting in basic standards that these tournaments don't have, uh, being honest about who's signing up and coming to the tournament, putting the information online. I know how crazy that sounds to say in 2018, but back in 2005, like you couldn't find brackets online. You had to call the director, you know, at 1130 at night to find out when you're playing on Sunday. Um, <laughs> You know, um, 
And so it just came from conversations between me and other coaches of, you know, what are in the tournaments that we, what would we like to see? And then, well, is there a way to do that? Well, yeah, this isn't that hard. We can do that. Um, and, and then obviously launching it and, and actually making that happen. But I, I think the theory of it was not particularly complicated at all. It's just building a better mousetrap um, and, you know, creating tournaments that are actually family friendly and <laughs> uh, information friendly, getting the brackets out on time, uh, having them stay as they are, having the teams that you said be in, be in. Um, so that everybody kind of knew where they were playing and knew what was happening and we weren't, you know, pulling the wool over people's eyes and, and surprising them. So um, I actually gave up my club in 2005 because I thought it'd be a conflict of interest to do both. Um, you know, and uh, in the meantime, I mean, I'm starting the business and I'm coaching high school baseball. I <laughs> uh, just given up the club team. I'm doing stuff with USA Baseball. So it was uh, it was quite an interesting and busy time. <laughs> What is the mission of NCTB? Well, it's, it's, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think we've, it's evolved a little bit, but I think the core is still the core. So, you know, we wanted to provide a supportive, positive, first-class baseball experience for players and families that play in our events. Um, it started as strictly a tournament business, um, and so that was focused on making the tournaments better. Uh, as we've grown, you know, we've added what, what I call special projects or special events, which is most of what I spend my time on now, um, things like we, we do an eighth grade league with the top 58th graders in Northern California. For 13 years, we ran the USA Baseball stuff out here. Um, you know, uh, we, we just started a new project, which, which uh, we may talk about here in a little bit. But I, I think the same things, the mission statement is still really to that point. Like, how can we, how can we create positive, a positive environment, create first-class events, um, break through some of the noise of the baseball industry um, and just get back to doing what people actually want and need um, from their kids' baseball experience and, and how that in, in impacts themselves, their family, et cetera. Um, so I, I think the core is still the same. Be supportive, be positive, try to make it first class. Can you talk to us a little bit about the state of youth baseball and the effects of this added emphasis on exposure and college recruiting? Wow. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty big topic. Uh, <laughs> but I, so I, I guess I'll start here because I think there's so many tentacles of youth baseball um, that we could probably go in a lot of directions here. But um, I think I've, I've had so many conversations with so many families and players over the last year as we've been working on one particular new project. And the thing that kind of strikes me over and over again is just how easy it is to, um, you know, first of all, to lose the forest for the trees, right? That, that everyone is in the weeds. Everyone is just trying to make the next right step. Um, and, and it's so easy to be a victim when you're in that, you know, when you're a particular family unwittingly, um, you know, of all of the things that are out there. I also think we get caught up in conflict. We get caught up in what's wrong about, you know, high school baseball or what's wrong about club baseball. And there's plenty wrong with both of them, but there's plenty right also. And, and I think sometimes when you just get stuck on, you know, we've got to perfect this and, you know, this is terrible and we've got to get that, you, you miss the big picture. And, and the big picture to me is, you know, rather than focus on what's right or what's wrong, is just, can we take a step back and say, if none of this existed, right, if, if we didn't have club teams and we didn't, you know, high school wasn't what it is in the way that it is, what would be the best thing 
for players, you know, for 14, 15, 16, 17, whatever age player, what would be the best thing for them? And, and I think when you do that, it, it brings some clarity to what you maybe should be doing. And you can step out of the sales pitches and what the club needs you to do and what the high school coach demands that you do and, you know, and, and what your personal trainer and how much money they're asking for. And, you know, what, what's really important to you and is what you're doing helping to get you there? <laughs> um, on, on my side, on the, on the business side, is I sit there and go, what's really important? You know, and, and I'll use our, our current project as an example, but I think the, the same thought process applies to any age group and any, any project. You know, okay, the high school ages, hey, there's some great stuff that club teams have brought to the table. They have, uh, they have made the recruiting world much more accessible to a player. Uh, in many ways, they've done a better job than most high school coaches, and I'm speaking as a high school coach and saying that, uh, who loves high school baseball. Um, you know, of connecting their players to the, the, the future college coaches that they may want to play with um, and providing opportunities. They, they've offered opportunities to travel the country, you know, playing top clubs. Like, there's a lot of good stuff in that. But, man, if none of it existed, what would we do? We would take, you know, an appropriate level, let's say the top players in this particular case, and they would get to play close to home, right? Now, if they want to go travel, they should have that opportunity. But it shouldn't be the case that they don't have that opportunity because all of the best tournaments are in Arizona or Georgia. Um, so playing close to home against great competition, if we can keep it really simple, right, becomes in, in this particular case study, um, that's the big need. The rest is just how do we get there. And exposure? Um, I, I, I never really loved the word, but I, I guess I'll say don't worry about it until you're ready is the best advice I can give somebody. Like having exposure in eighth grade is exactly useless. There's no value of it. It doesn't mean anything. And honestly, having exposure even in ninth grade is only useful to a very small segment of the population. Uh, and it's in particular, what I mean by ready, I think is number one, are you good enough to play for a given program, right? If, you, if your dream is to play for Stanford, for example, um, First of all, are you good enough to play for Stanford? Well, if you're a freshman, let's be honest, you're not, right? There's no freshman in the country that's good enough to step into Stanford right now and play for them. So you got to go to the second thing, which is, are you going to be able to show physical attributes that lead them to believe that you're going to be good enough to play for them? And if, if your answer, you know, if you're, I was a small kid. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, I, you know, I don't, I don't think I started puberty until I was in high school. Um, and I think there weren't showcases back then, but if there were, they wouldn't have done me any good. Um, in fact, they probably would have hurt me. Like here's this small, you know, small, weak 14 year old who throws a lot of strikes. Um, well, that's not interesting to any college program. Um, we can debate whether it should or shouldn't be okay, but it isn't. <laughs> um, so you know, you, you start to chase those things because, you, you know, you'll see a peer, quote unquote, maybe commit or get some interest or something like that and think, I need to be in that mix. I need to go to their team camp. I need to go to this showcase. And the reality is that a good portion of the, of the player pool just isn't ready to be in that environment or it's just not going to do them any good. They're going to be completely unnoticed in those events. And, and oftentimes, if they are noticed, it's not real positive for them. Um, cause you get a bunch of college coaches that have seen them get their teeth beat in, uh, <laughs> and, 
Now, and that changes, obviously. Once you're ready, hey, do what you need to do. Um, but I, I think that, that part gets missed with, in the whole quest for exposure is be good enough first, either in your physical attributes or actually as a baseball player, present day, like, yeah, this kid's better than somebody on my roster. I want him at our school. Um, so I, I'm skeptical of, of the marketplace as I guess a short way of putting it. Thank you for listening to The Dugout, a college baseball match podcast. For more information about the college baseball recruiting process, visit our website, collegebaseballmatch.com. You can also find us on all social media channels. Do you have a question about the recruiting process that you'd like answered on the show? Email us at support at collegebaseballmatch.com. 